Welcome into the Clap Trap. Brought to you by Ultrasound Productions. Now also playing on 90.7 WKKL. Happy Friday, everybody. It's the weekend again, and we have some topics for you today. We are going to go over some Celtics stuff to start off the show. We're going to talk Bruins. We got some uh, NFL topics. We're going to talk Patriots stuff. We're going to talk Matt Stafford and the Rams parade things. One of the biggest stories of the week happening with Matt Stafford. We're going to get into all of that. If you haven't seen the entire situation with the camera, woman who fell off the stage going to talk all about that and there's a, a few different things to go over I might even talk a little bit of baseball it seems like they had some new news come out which isn't that great if you're a big baseball fan I'm sure you already know but we're going to talk about that as well it's going to be a good show and we're going to get you ready for the weekend uh, that is going to show the uh, or or have the NBA all-star game and hopefully we're going to get the Bruins back on track and everything like that but like I said we are starting off with the Celtics and what they've been able to do uh, since the last time that I talked to you on Wednesday, which is uh, they, they've been able to win a solid game against the 76ers, which was huge. Don't, don't get me wrong. That was a great game. And, uh, it, you know, I think that or, um, uh, that game was monumental for the Celtics in a sense that they finally actually beat somebody that mattered. To me, you know, I, I had said this before. They had played Charlotte at home. That was a great win. They had beaten the Hawks as well. That was good. But this 76ers team, yes, I know they didn't have Harden. And I know that they didn't have guys like Steph Curry and, and their other role players that they got rid of to the Nets. But this was a great win. Uh, you know, we talked about this in the last show. Uh, but uh, this was a great win, and, and there was something about this win that I hadn't even mentioned in the last show, and that was in regards to the Joel Embiid comments that Ime Odoka used as great motivation for this Celtics squad, but it also kind of shows what the difference is between the beginning of this season with this team and now, what we have now, which is great. And I know that the green teamers are all going crazy, drinking the Kool-Aid and saying that this team could possibly win a championship. But in reality, it's just nice that they have gotten back to a position where they're worth watching again. They've changed their style of basketball. They are no longer or do not seem to be any longer that ISO ball team. You never know what will happen. We still got a lot of basketball to play after the All-Star break, but it seems like they have come together as a team. So these comments that were made by Joel Embiid were after the January 14th game in which the 76ers beat up on the Celtics. Uh, Embiid had remarked how, how much easier it was to play against Boston and how much easier it was to defend them than playing against someone like the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, the, the actual quote that Embiid had was, Charlotte, they, may, they move the ball extremely well and they have shooters all over the place and they made a bunch of jump shots. That's what Embiid said. He went on to say Boston is more of an ISO-heavy team, so it becomes easier to load up and try to stop them. I mean, he's not wrong. At the beginning of the year, very ISO-heavy, and and I think that even up until, yes, like June 14th, or January 14th, I should say, of 2022, still very ISO-ball-heavy. But within these last couple of weeks here, this last month, they have made a change in their attitude which gives us a much better chance at not only getting into the playoffs, but now I think possibly winning a playoff series. So 
Very happy with that 76ers win. Like I said, talked about it before, but it was it was a great thing. And obviously, Udoka used those comments correctly because, as I said, he put that up as bulletin board material before that game. And he said even comments like, it stood out to me what Embiid said after our game, being that they had just played Charlotte the night before us, Udoka told reporters on Wednesday. I put that quote up for the guys before the game, and they saw that. So it was a clear message. I know that there's also been reports that the Celtics players in general were were circling this game on their calendars. They wanted to beat the 76ers in Philadelphia, and they went out and accomplished their goal. They went out and did what they needed to do to beat a team and, and that didn't have Jason uh, James Harden, yes, but also the Celtics did not have Rob Williams, which is a huge piece to this team this year. So... Um, I, I give him all the credit in the world. We even lost Marcus Smart in the second quarter of that game to that sprained ankle. And so you still were able to beat up on that squad with Joel Embiid being the monster that he is down low and everything like that. So I was very happy about that. I was very happy that they were able to get into a position where they can, you know, like, I, like I've said before, they are now at the sixth seed in the conference, which is huge. You're, you're sitting only three and a half games back at that point of the first place spot. It's now four and a half games, uh, but we'll get into the reasons behind that. But it was good. It, it was You're in a good position. You're in striking distance of making it yourself a really high-tier seed in the Eastern Conference going into the playoffs. And that is gigantic for this team, I think. I think a huge piece to the puzzle for this team actually making any type of run in the playoffs this season is going to be having a home series to start it all off. A home run. So I'm talking getting to at least the four seed in the league. Do I think that they can still do it? No. I still don't think that they're going to end up doing it. I think the second half of the season after the All-Star break is going to be very tough to gain momentum in the standings because I think that players are going to come back from injury. Teams like the Nets are not going to continue to be as bad when they have Jay, uh, Kevin Durant back on the team, and we'll see what Simmons does for them. The Sixers will get better with James Harden. He seems to be happy, and if you can keep a James Harden focused for even just half a season in the playoffs, that's going to be good for you. The problem is with James Harden is getting him to be focused for multiple seasons. That's not going to be the issue for the Sixers this year. They're going to be able to get him focused. He's going to have that mentality for one year, so I won't be surprised when the 76ers do much better in the second half. I won't be surprised when the Nets get bounced back and they do great in the second half. So there are teams that are going to be still vying for spots ahead of the Celtics. Can the Celtics hold on to that? I don't know when you look at the types of performances that they've given against some of the worst teams in the NBA. And that is, in fact, the last game that they had just before the All-Star break against the Detroit Pistons, the second worst team in all of the NBA. And I want to get into my thoughts on that game when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. Oh, we better get that in pretty quick. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Okay, that's quite the foul. Tough look. It's a tough look for the Celtics to lose to a Pistons squad that you had no business losing to, at, especially at this point in the season, 
uh, you know, where we're at, the momentum we've built, the nine-game winning streak that we had, the best one that we had been on in the entire season. You had finally figured things out, and, and it was happening. And yes, Marcus Smart did go down with an injury, and he was one of the major catalysts, if not the only catalyst, to that win streak. But still, when you go into a game against the Pistons, you should be able to take care of business. And the problem was, from the get-go, it seemed like the Pistons were ready to play and the Boston Celtics were ready for the All-Star break. It's just how it, it looked to me. I'm sure it looked that way to a lot of other fans as well. But they didn't give the best effort against a team that, in their minds, they knew that they could easily handle. Right, That had to be the case, and at this point, now that everyone has seen what this Celtics squad can be, especially with that nine-game winning streak, getting themselves back into the standings, being all over the news, teams are going to give you their best effort every single night. They're looking at the Celtics as a measuring stick now of a team who is extremely hot and that and is a possible high seed in the playoffs, so... You're going to get the best shot from the Pistons. You're going to get the best shot from all these you know, subpar teams. You're going to play the Pacers. You're going to play the Nets again on the road. These teams are all going to be looking at you as a legitimate team now that you've gone on this run. We're not looking at them as the team earlier in the year. Two months ago, teams were looking at the Celtics and saying, hey, maybe we can rest a player or two because I think that we can handle this Celtics squad because they just haven't figured out what type of team they are yet. Now the Celtics have figured out what type of team they are. They've gotten rid of some of the dead weight. They've figured out the rotations. They know that they're a defense-first squad, and then if they're hitting their shots, they're pretty much unstoppable. But you're still getting everyone else's best shot. You're still getting every single game. You're going to get the best effort from the other teams because they know now that you're legit. So going into this game, obviously coming off of the huge win against the 76ers, and then it being a back-to-back but it being a home game, you had to know for a fact as a Celtics fan that the players on the Celtics squad were going into this one thinking, hey, we're about to go on the All-Star break. This is one of the worst teams in the league going, the Pistons. They have no reason to play for it. We'll probably just roll through them. Let's not even focus too hard on it. Let's get ready for our vacation, right? Because that's what it seems like. It, it, it looked They looked at this game like they had done enough and could coast into the All-Star break. Is anyone disagreeing with that after what happened in that game? Letting them even just be in the game, the Pistons that is, letting them be in that game until the very end to the point where you had to keep battling to try and stay in it, that was frustrating. You should have been able to step on throats in the second or third quarter and made that a nothing game, a runaway game, a blowout win for the Celtics. You should have been able to do that, especially at home. It would be one thing if we were on the road, if we were in Detroit, and it's the end of this big, long streak, and you're about to go into the, the All-Star break, I'd still be destroying you for it. But the, they were looking at this game like it was nothing, and it was at home. And it was at home. I don't, I don't know. So they didn't take them serious, and, you know, and it bit them right in the ass. It really did. Uh, it, it doesn't mean now. Now, I want to I make sure that all the Celtics fans out there that are probably ripping me apart as if I'm, I'm saying that this is the worst thing in the world. This doesn't mean that they won't come out on the other side of the All-Star break and be dominant again. This won't, doesn't mean that. They could very clearly figure their stuff out, and, and I'm sure that they will. I honestly believe that they will. They'll be a good team in this next half of the season after the All-Star break. But you would, ha you would just hate to think that this one loss that they didn't take serious could be the difference between having a home playoff series 
and not. It's it's looking like this standings for the NBA, especially in the Eastern Conference, is going to be a very tight race. Like I said right now, after this win streak, you're only four and a half games back of first place in the Eastern Conference. Everyone is kind of bunched up now. Teams have lost. The Nets have gone on a huge losing streak like we talked about. Obviously, the Heat and the Bulls and these teams still have good records, but they've kind of come back down to earth. You got the Cavaliers in front of you, who I, I'm just re ready for them to in implode at any point. But you would think that this whole standings at the end of the day, at the end of the season, is going to come down to a couple games here or there between each spot for the Eastern Conference. That's the way it's shaping up right now. So to think that just because they didn't take this game as serious going into the All-Star break, when this should have been the one that they just dumped all of their energy into, anything they had left, put it into this last game because you know you have a big break coming out. Make sure that you handle your business and get another win right here to get up to 35 wins on the season, and you're going to be in a better position coming out of the break. But instead... They take it easy, they coast into the game, all of a sudden it's the fourth quarter and the Pistons are still in it and they're battling because they have nothing else to play for besides being able to say that they beat up on a, a, a Celtics team that's on a huge win streak right now. That's great for them. But I just hate, I, I keep coming back to the thought that if we get to the end of the season and they could have been a four seed instead of a five seed, something like that, and it's as, as little as just one game, and instead of having a home series, you're going as the away team in the series for the majority of the games, or for, or for one more than the other one. I, I don't know. It would be very frustrating to me. I, I would assume that it would be very frustrating to all other Celtics fans because you had this game very easily if you just tried a little bit more. That's how I feel about it. I I don't know if anybody else is feeling the same way. I'm sure if you think the way that I do, you are. You're upset. You're worried. Because I very much think this Celtics squad still needs to have a home playoff series to win a playoff series. I think they could do it. I think they could win a road series depending on the matchup. But you need to try and ensure yourself a home series to make sure that you can be better in this playoffs and have maybe a little bit of a run. Maybe. We'll see what happens. All right. Let's move on now. I want to talk about the, the Bruins when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. And this one just continues to hop around there. And Chara off the glass and out. Nelson gloves it down. Nelson to the empty net, and he scores! Brock Nelson puts the Bruins away here in the final minutes. And a great play by Chara. Soft third plays. Watch Chara. Up high, hard. And a great play by Brock Nelson. A couple of quick strides. Is I, uh, he has, uh, we can win some hockey games. Never talked about anything else. We can win a couple of games. Islanders score four unanswered in this one. Beat the Boston Bruins four to one tonight here at UBS Arena. I gotta tell you, I'm I'm getting a little worried about this Bruins squad. It was great to have Patrice back last night. It was great to hopefully, you know, start to get back towards where this team can get healthy again. You know, you obviously have Marshan on the suspension, which he's trying to appeal that. I don't know why. I still think that that's you know, just take it and, and go. You you made the mistake. You did the dumb thing, Marshan, but whatever. We won't go off on that tangent again. I'm starting to get worried, though, about this Bruins squad, and it's not just from the injury stuff. I just feel as though we've been talking about 
for for week after week after week that this Celtic or this Bruins squad is just a a second line center and a a, t- a top four left shot defenseman away from being a legitimate threat. I've I've talked about it. I've I've said that over and over again. I think that everybody's been saying that. But I'm starting to think that we may be a little bit further away than just those two pieces. I think we're going to need a little bit more than that. And it's upsetting to me because I'm certainly not the type of person, not the type of Bruins fan that's like, blow it all up. Right? We want we want to just redo the whole roster because I think that that's silly. I think that's silly in any sport, really, to completely blow it up when you have top-tier talent the way that the Bruins do. Because make no mistake about it, you still have... Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak, and McAvoy, four top-tier players in this league, two of which are very young. Marchand, still going to play for a few years. Bergeron, yes, okay, I'll give you that. He's pretty much done. It, it seems like he's done. This will probably be his last year. I can't expect and I can't ask him to do much more than he's already done for this team. But it's it's the people out there that confuse me are the ones that say blow it all up. Because what does that actually mean to you? As a, as a Bruins fan, when you say blow it all up, do you mean getting rid of those top four guys and like Jeremy Swayman, who's extremely young too? What are you talking about? Because blowing it up to me, if you end up coming back into the season next year and you had just gotten rid of Martian and Bergeron, you still have Pasternak, you still have McAvoy, and you still have Jeremy Swayman coming up in the ranks. So that's three players right there. If you believe in Swayman the way that I do, that's three players right there that could still keep you in a decent position. You're not you're not completely you're not the, the the Buffalo Sabres. You're not one of these lower tier teams that barely has anything and so you sell off the few good pieces that you have because you have nothing else. This team does still have some pieces. We have a few coming up in the farm system, a couple of you know draft picks that could turn out to be something. It's not in my opinion the time to blow this up. I also always think and I've done this with the Patriots before as well. You saw it during, or you heard me saying it during the Cam Newton season. You're always trying to win games, right? You should always be trying to win games. I also believe that Bruce Cassidy is a top-tier coach in the NHL. I feel like he has done an amazing job with this team in a lot of different levels, from his line changes to his abilities on the power play or, or being able to set teams up on the power play. All of that, he has been great. But I am worried... I got to say, worried once again that this team needs a little bit more than just two pieces. You're going to need a little bit more help from either somebody coming out of nowhere on the squad already and stepping up and being dominant uh, for the rest of the season. Like I'm, I'm saying that that line that I talked about before with, uh, you know, the second line with Coyle and, um, you know, Oh geez, now I'm now I'm just blanking on lines right now. But what am I trying to say here? The the coil line with Frederick, Frederick and Smith. Thank you, thank you, me for for figuring this thing out. God, stammering all through this segment right now. But whatever. It is something like that that we need to either that needs to be consistent. They've been doing great. The coil Frederick and and Smith line needs to be consistently a top tier third line pairing for us going forward, or you're going to need to go and get more than just a second line center. I think this offense needs a little bit more of a spark than what you're able to provide right now. And they're just not proving that they can do it consistently. That's, that's the major issue here is consistency. 
right? You had that little run where we were we were scoring like crazy, and it was because you made that little change up of putting Hall with Pasternak on the second line and having Haula as their center. That was a great move, and it sparked a run from this team that that put them right back into everything, put them in the race, held off uh, you know teams behind them like the Red Wings and the Blue Jackets who are trying to vie for that second wild card spot. Great stuff. Very happy about what happened with that line change. And it seems like we've hit another line that could possibly be good in what I've been saying, the Frederick, Coyle, and Smith line. If that can be your number three line, right, and then you get back Marshan and you have the Marshan-Bergeron line with, I, I don't know who you're going to end up putting on that line with him now because I want Smith to stay with Coyle and Frederick as your third line pairing. So, I don't know, maybe you do something as crazy as putting DeBrusque back on that first line. He seems to need to be, he seems to be as big of a baby to think that he needs to be with the top-tier players. So put him with Marshan and Bergeron. Hopefully you can get, you. I mean, you will. You will get something out of him if you put him on that line. It's just a fact. There's just no chance. People just produce when they're around Bergeron and Marshan. Still, to this day, it just happens. It's easy to play with those two players. So... You put DeBrusque on the first line with Bergeron and Marshan. You keep the Howla, Hall, and Pasternak connection on the second line. And then your third line is Frederick, Coyle, and Smith. And now I think we're starting to at least, if that third line could be consistent, maybe get you into a position where you can be a threat in the playoffs. But does that put you over the edge? No. You still need to go out and get a little bit more talent. And in all honesty, I think that it's going to be more than just a second line center. I think you're going to need to find something else, a winger of some kind that can give you more scoring and possibly put, be put on that third line to give you more depth. I, I don't know. I, I know I just said that I love that third line, but it feels like we need more. And it feels like maybe we might need more on the defensive side as well. I, I mean, I love, obviously love McAvoy, love Grizzlick. Carlo has been up and down this year. Riley, Mike Riley, I like his style of play. But I don't know. You might need... I mean, I think that Forbert has not lived up to what I thought he could be. And I think that they may need to look elsewhere on the defensive side of things as well. So I don't know. There's a lot of question marks. And I want to get into those question marks and other things that I've had an issue with on this team when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. All right. So the Bruins are in trouble, in my opinion. They're sitting in a position where we're going to have to buy, buy, buy at the trade deadline to be able to make a legitimate run here. I just think that this team has a lot of holes right now, and they've been showing it over these last couple of games, these last four or five games, that they've been missing out on Bergeron and Marchand. It's pretty clear that when Bergeron was not there, we were in a tough spot trying to make all the lines move and everything like that, especially on the power play. The power play was one of the things that I was upset the most about, seeing that the Bruins basically couldn't even enter the zone if they didn't have Marshan or Bergeron on the squad. Now, I'm not saying that they didn't do that. They certainly did enter the zone, but the majority of situations, it seemed like it was a struggle to do so. There was no fluidity behind what they were trying to do, what they were attempting to do on the power play without those two key guys. And I'm not trying to say that they're not you know, you know that that isn't the way that the team should go. You do need your best players to be at your best. But I wanted to see a little bit more of a fight without those guys 
because to me that would have shown that maybe it was only the second line center and a possible defenseman that this team needed. Maybe it was maybe it wasn't that bad. Maybe what we've been seeing, you know, is sustainable even if you if you lose a top tier player on the team, you can still fight, you can still battle. But it doesn't seem like that's the case anymore. It really doesn't. So they're going to have to go into the trade deadline trying to find a player that can come in and help this squad out. And I've talked about it before. I've talked about things like them trying to go after Maybe if they have the ability to go after Flyers center Claude Giroux. I don't, I don't know if that's... I know that they're kind of on the outs and they're trying to move on from him. But I don't know what it, you would, it would take to get a player like that. Is it too much? Is it too rich for our blood? Probably. Probably, in all honesty. So you have to look elsewhere to teams that are trying to dump off a player. And you find a lot of people talking about JT Miller from the Vancouver Canucks talking about him as a good center that could possibly help multiple teams in the league. And the Celtics, I mean, the Bruins, keep doing that. The Bruins do obviously need a center. That would be a good piece for them. But the problem is, and this is something that Joe Haggerty just wrote about for, for Boston Hockey Now, the problem is that the Tyler Toffoli trade to the Calgary Flames makes that price for JT Miller much higher. Right, JT Miller has a $5.25 million contract right now he's got left on his deal. But with what happened in the Calgary Flames trade for Tyler Toffoli, if, if that affects the market for JT Miller, it's going to be tough for the Bruins. And the reason is, and as Joe Haggerty wrote, like I said, if the Bruins were to acquire Miller, it would cost them a first-round pick and an additional pick plus a prospect like Jack Studnika and a roster player like Jake DeBrusque. Now, I'm not upset about losing DeBrusque. I, I do like Studnika, but he's, he's somebody who can go as well if it's going to help this, this uh, team this year. But is that Canucks team going to actually want Studnika? Or are they going to want to try and go after one of our young studs in the farm system like that Fabian Lysel kid? Is, is that what you're going to want? Because that is something, that's a piece that I want this Bruins team to hold on to, if they can, as much as possible. I do want them to win now, and I do think that players in the farm system are should be available so that you can make this team better right now, because I do want a cup run as, as soon as possible. I, I want to try to keep winning, but is it worth giving up your your young stud possible kid in Lysel to be able to do that and get a JT Miller type. I mean, I like JT Miller. Don't get me wrong. And I was looking over his statistics. He has been solid for the Vancouver Canucks so far through 48 games, 18 goals, 32 assists. The guy is a plus four on plus minus. He's also great on faceoffs. He's a career 52% faceoff guy. So, I, I mean, he would be great to have on that second line. Obviously, with Hall and Pasternak, though I do like what Howell has been able to do with them. If you get a little bit more star power or a little bit better in that position as well, now you have really two dominant lines, top two dominant lines there. So that would be very good for this team. So that's just somebody, obviously, that people have been talking about this team going after, JT Miller. I'm hopeful that they can do something like that, but if it means getting rid of a player like Lysel, is it worth it? I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know. Lysel could be legit. He could be a, a big piece for the future. And he's obviously one of the better pieces that we have in the farm system right now. So I don't know. Is, is that going to be the player to go after? We'll see. I, I want to keep talking about more of those players as these episodes keep coming up here and see what the Bruins can do. But I do think I, I'm going back to what I said in that, that last segment about the Bruins. 
I think that we're possibly more than just two pieces away from being able to make a legitimate run. And you might not be surprised by that. I know that there's a lot of Bruins fans, like I said before, a lot of Bruins fans want to blow this whole thing up. They've been wanting to blow this up for a couple of years, but I just don't understand that. I don't understand that when you have young talent like Pasternak and McAvoy, and you're just going to sit there and blow up the team around them so that what? We can try and get a good draft pick, try and go into the free agency next year. I want to try and make a team right now and keep them in a winning attitude because I think that Charlie McAvoy will stay in a winning attitude no matter what, even if you were losing games, but I'm not quite sure about Pasternak, and we can't lose a Pasternak no matter what you think about him and the way that he plays. Obviously, he's been dominant this year. He's got onto a streak of goals, and he is he's on pace for one of his better career seasons, but this team needs a lot right now, and I just don't think that blowing the whole thing up is going to do it. I, I still just don't understand the people that say that. But I get where they're coming from. I mean, this Bruins team is only... Uh, if, if I've tried to look at the, the record against playoff teams this year, from what I've seen, they are 8-11-3 against playoff teams. They've been outscored 76-52 to in a, in a total of, the, of those 22 games, 50-33 to at 5-on-5 five five hockey. So they're just not playing good against playoff teams this year. They're just not. Since January 15th, they're 1-3-2 and two against playoff teams, being outscored 26-11. to 11. And, you know, it's it, they're just not in a good spot to feel good about this team going into the playoffs. I still don't want them to blow it up, though. I, I, I still think that any Bruins fan out there that thinks that they should blow it up at the trade deadline is crazy. I don't understand you, and I think that you're wrong, right? So... We'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what they do. I'll keep talking about the Bruins as we keep going forward. But I want to move it over to football now. So we're going to do that when we come back after, back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. A photographer is in the hospital this afternoon after taking a hard fall during the Rams rally yesterday. A video from that moment has gone viral. KKL 9's Jasmine Beal shows us why. I'm going to need a new an oh my god moment when NFL photographer Kelly Smiley backs up to take a picture of Rams quarterback Matt Stafford and his wife during the victory rally at the LA Coliseum and falls right off the tall stage. Stafford seems to say oh my god as he turns away and takes a sip of water. His wife Kelly runs over to the edge. Stafford's reaction quickly went viral as people called him out for appearing to just walk away. Smiley, a Long Beach native took to social media with updates about her injuries. In an Instagram video she's wearing a back brace and wrote she fractured her spine and was staying the night in the trauma center. She also tweeted about it, reposting an article on her fall saying, that's me waiting at the ER for x-ray results. Both my cameras broke, but I'm okay. Matt Stafford had himself a day. He just uh, was, he was, I mean, the Rams won the Super Bowl. We already talked about this on Wednesday. Rams won the Super Bowl. Congrats to the Rams. They, uh, you know, great game. And the ability to come back in the end, and Matt Stafford was able to, you know, will that team to a victory. Great fourth quarter quarterback all year. Great job. Earned it, for sure. But man, did that guy have a day for the Super Bowl parade on Wednesday. He was uh, he was on one, I would say. There was, there was tweets, there was videos, all these types of things coming out of him being extremely drunk on the uh, parade buses there, or whatever they have, the floats, whatever it is. He was going hard. He was ripping cigars, chugging beers, doing all that kind of stuff. He was on one. He even had Tom Brady coming out. 
and doing the tweet saying, mix in a water every once in a while, Matt. I know best. Going back to the Bucks one where he got hammered as well. So you had this whole situation happen at the parade, at the end of the ceremony, and I played the clip of the, the the news broadcast talking about it. So if you hadn't already heard, now you know. At the end, at the parade, on the stage, there was a moment where Matt Stafford was hanging out with his wife. There was a photographer that tried to take their picture, and they are on a gigantic stage, let me tell you. This thing was at least seven feet high off the ground, maybe eight, I don't know. And this woman takes a few steps back. I, I I mean, it's it's a tough... It doesn't see the injury, so I can't say it's a tough video to watch. So if you haven't seen it yet, go on to Twitter, go on to Facebook, go on to Instagram. I'm sure you'll be able to find it somewhere on social media. You'll probably just type it in on the internet as well. But this woman backs up, backs up, backs up until she falls backwards off the stage. Horrible situation. You never want to see that happen to anybody in the league. But what also happened in that moment, in that 10-second window, was Matt Stafford saw this happen. He said, oh, my G, and then he turned, sipped his water, and walked away. That's tough. That's a tough look for Matt Stafford in this situation. Now, I want to say, once again, he was having a day. Matt Stafford was having a day. He was drunk off his butt. He was. He just was. That's just where he was at. But... It looks tough. It was a tough look for that whole situation. Now, his wife was standing right next to him, and she had the same reaction. Oh, my. And she went straight towards the woman to see what she could do. But I remind you once again, they were about seven or eight feet in the air on this stage. So there was no chance to even just be able to jump down and help in any way. You could direct people to it. You could point out things that were happening. But that was all that you could really do. It was still a tough look, a very tough look by Matt Stafford to just say, oh my, and walk away. He instantly, and it was so perfectly caught on camera, the, the, the videos that have come out and seen his face, his facial reaction, his, his mouth goes wide, he turns, sips his water, and walks away immediately. That's tough stuff. But I gotta say, it kind of brings up the fact that social media and people in general are just tough to deal with nowadays they really are I, I mean I, I'm not saying that he made the right decision here but it was so it was such a quick moment 10 second decision that happened and he is getting crucified for this whole decision he is getting destroyed on social media everywhere there are fans all over the place saying how horrible he was as a person to not help out not do anything in that moment to just walk away from the situation but I ask those same people, what would you have wanted him to actually do? Yes, it would have been good if he had acknowledged the situation more and maybe his first reaction was to say, hey, somebody go help her. But he's not going to jump down off the stage and spring into action as an EMT and start you know, stabilizing the wounds. What, what did you think he was going to do? So, I don't know. It, it, it seemed like it was a damned if you do, damned if you don't moment for him because... He gets ripped all over social media. Him, you know, falling. It, it was almost as if Stafford has might as well have pushed her off the stage to some people because they had lost all respect for him, all respect for the quarterback. And that's another part of social media that I absolutely hate. People just need to give their opinions on everything. And some of them could be trolls. Some of them could be just trying to rile other people up. It may be happening, but that's just the way that the world seems to work right now. You have an instant 
moment. And that, you know, nowadays the, the attention span is so small, but everything is decided in 10 second windows, it seems. And that was the same thing that happened with Stafford here. 10 second window changed his whole entire possible career to some people. Some people think he is a horrible person now. And I just don't understand it. But, you know, I don't know. The girl was in a horrible situation. She fell off of the stage. It was horrible. She fractured her back and she broke her cameras, all that kind of stuff. Now, the Rams and the Staffords came out and said they are going to pay for all of her medical bills and the cameras. But in a way, isn't that admitting to all of the trolls or to all the people who hate on Stafford that he did something wrong? I mean, I'm not saying that it wasn't a bad look, but did he do anything actually wrong in that situation? Did he push the woman off the stage? No. Did he, you know, keep saying back up, back up, back up, knowing that the girl would fall off the stage? No. Did he have a bad reaction? Should he have been more empathetic towards the situation? Sure. But are you going to destroy this man and say you have no respect for him whatsoever, for him being intoxicated beyond probably the the most he's ever been in his entire life? It's a Super Bowl parade. He's done the one thing that's made him happier than than anything other than marrying his wife, I'm sure, in his entire life. I, I, I Actually, I don't know if he has any kids, so I don't know. Maybe it was also having kids. That could probably be a happy moment for him as well. But you took this single moment where he was inebriated and it was a 10 second window to destroy his person, like to destroy his entire integrity, his morale. I like what, what do you expect from him in this situation? And I don't understand why he felt like he needed to go out and say, you know, we're going to pay for everything because that to me admits that he did something wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. You didn't do anything wrong, Matt. I, I, I like it's a horrible situation. I wish all the best for the woman involved, Kelly Smiley. I hope that she not only able is able to recover good, but she gets the cameras and everything, and she is fine. But you didn't do anything wrong, Matt. You didn't do anything wrong. I don't. I don't know. It, it just seems like a ridiculous reaction by the public to this situation overall. All right, I want to keep talking NFL topics. We're gonna keep doing that after this on ninety point seven WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. At the same time, I'm damn happy to be standing up here with you guys celebrating this Come on. Let's go, y'all. I'm going to bring a little Southern hospitality to this. I appreciate y'all so much. You guys have been unbelievable. Unbelievable all year. And you know what? We appreciate you. Okay, we were talking Matt Stafford in the last segment. We were talking about the situation going on at the parade, talking about how hammered Matt Stafford was. You just heard his, uh, you know, little speech that he was having up at the podium. He also had a huge glass bottle of what seemed like vodka or some other alcohol in there, and he was ripping that as well. So the man was on one. He was on one. He was at the point where someone had probably forced a water bottle into his hand when that whole situation happened with the woman falling off of the stage. Horrible situation. Nobody wishes that upon anybody. Terrible stuff. But also, I think that it's terrible if you're a human being that is berating Matt Stafford or in any way for the situation just because he had a, 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 a poor reaction to the situation that he could do nothing about. 
and that he did nothing to cause. So, I don't know. People out there that are upset with Matt Stafford, I think you need to reevaluate the situation or reevaluate yourself because you're looking at it the wrong way. You're just looking at it the wrong way. I can't say anything else about it. But the other stuff that has happened since that Super Bowl win and the parade and everything going on with that is the reaction that we are getting from players about Matt Stafford and his career. There are people saying that there is, you know, he should be a Hall of Famer now, that he has won a Super Bowl. There are some people that are very against that, saying that he should not be a Hall of Famer. There's nothing that you should be putting him in the Hall of Fame for. I don't, they don't understand why he's doing it. So I see both sides of the argument a little bit, but I got to say, I'm actually on the side of Matt Stafford doesn't get into the into the Hall of Fame if I'm being if it's gun to the head if it's if it's you have to definitely definitively say whether or not he's a Hall of Famer I gotta say no but if you know me at all from listening to any of these ridiculous episodes that I've done in the past I am a small hall kind of guy I do not want everyone getting in I don't want it to be the fact that he got one Super Bowl, now he's automatically enshrined into the Hall of Fame as one of the greatest players of all time. We do have to remember when we're putting all of this stuff into perspective that we're talking about the greatest players to ever grace the field and play the sport of football. That That's who we're talking about here. We're not talking about the Hall of Great. We're not talking about players like the like how the Patriots have the Patriots Hall of Fame. Okay, so you can do players that are great and mean a lot to the Patriots franchise. But when we're talking about Hall of Fame careers, we're talking about somebody, in my opinion, that, you know, changed the landscape of the NFL, was a big enough name that you will remember him forever. You will remember that person as somebody who either reinvented a part of the game, broke the most statistics, and was considered the greatest of all time, a Tom Brady-type obvious but, you know, you bring it down a few levels from there, there's certain criteria I feel you need to meet to be able to reach that goal. And if it's a quarterback, I'm talking you have to have multiple Super Bowls. I'm sorry. I know. It's a team sport at the end of the day. And a lot of people are going to say, well, it doesn't really matter because individuals in the sport of football, it's hard to do that. No, no, no. When it comes to the quarterback position only in the NFL, Super Bowls matter. It just, it, that's a fact. You need to have a minimum of two Super Bowls before you can even be entered into the conversation, in my opinion. And it's unfortunate because then you bring up guys like Eli Manning, who I would say is not a Hall of Famer because his majority of his career was subpar. And then he had two amazing runs and ended up beating the New England Patriots, which is another thing that's near and dear to myself. But I'm not even being biased here when I say the rest of his career was pretty average. He didn't have a lot of great moments as a quarterback other than those two runs. And he had some absolutely insane runs, some insane plays, great throws, great catches, all leading to those runs that he had. But did he do anything really of a Hall of Fame level? No, I wouldn't say that. But you got to at least have the two to get yourself in the conversation, I believe, right? Because right now, Matt Stafford, to me, is more like a Joe Flacco than he is like a Ben Roethlisberger. And I hate Ben Roethlisberger as a person. I think he's a scumbag. But at least Ben Roethlisberger not only won two championships, but did enough statistically, consistently, to get himself into that position, or at least in the conversation. 
Matt Stafford, as much as I love him and wanted him to win a Super Bowl and all that, I've been talking about that for weeks now. I wanted Matt Stafford to be the guy. I think he earned it, all that kind of stuff. That doesn't mean I think he earned a Hall of Fame bid by winning this Super Bowl. He had a, a an okay career. He was one of the guys that, you know, he came up at the right time where stats for the quarterback were becoming inflated beyond belief. He was the first or the fastest quarterback to ever reach 20,000 career regular season passing yards. Also the fastest to reach 30, 40, 45, and he's probably going to be the fastest to reach 50,000 as well, passing Tom Brady. But just because you got all those gaudy numbers in the regular season doesn't mean that you actually performed well enough to be a Hall of Famer. So in my opinion, no, he's not a Hall of Famer. I don't know if there's other people out there that would argue with that. He certainly had an amazing season. He was a fourth-quarter maestro throughout this entire year. Matt Stafford in fourth quarters this season, including the playoffs, had a 71% completion rate, had a 14-0 to touchdown-to-interception ratio, and had a passer rating of 123.2. He had game winning a game-winning pass with a minute 25 left in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl as well. So he was a fourth-quarter dominant quarterback. But was he a Hall of Famer? Did he have a Hall of Fame career? To me, no. He was a one-time Pro Bowler. He had zero All-Pro seasons. And he had two seasons, only two of his entire, he's played 12 years now, only two of those seasons as he had a passer rating above 100. That's upsetting. That's that's not worthy to me of a Hall of Fame career, not having a bust. You do not get your golden face in the Hall of Fame. I'm sorry, Matt Stafford. I like you as a person, regardless of the whole situation with the woman falling off. I still like you as a person. I think you're a good dude, and I think that you are a battler, a warrior. You went through injuries. You played as many games as you could, and you got yourself a Super Bowl. I don't think you're done. I'm sure that you're going to come back and try and play at least another season or two. I don't think you'll ever get another Super Bowl, though. And to me, that means that you're never going to be in the conversation for a Hall of Famer. I'm sorry. I'm a small Hall guy. You can take it for what it is, but that's just how I feel. All right, time to talk about some other NFL topics, including the Patriots, when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. All right, we've gone over all the Matt Stafford topics. He's been a hot topic of this entire week, not only talking about the situation with the woman falling off of the stage, but also his possible, and to some people, Hall of Fame career. So, I, I mean, we've gone over that the last couple of segments. If you missed anything, this will be up as a podcast. Wherever podcasts are found, just search The Claptrap. You'll be able to find it. Go back here, all my ridiculous takes. But it's time to move on to some other topics in the NFL, mostly and only pretty much revolving around the Patriots. So uh, at this point in the year, we are officially into the offseason. We are officially talking about who is going to be coaching for the Patriots, which we, there's a lot of question marks going on there. I talked on Wednesday with Andrew about it. We had some good conversation about not only that, but also cap situations, salary cap, everything going on. So you can also go back and listen to that episode as well. A lot of great information from Andrew there. But we also have some more situations coming up, things that we didn't even talk about really. And that includes the March 8th franchise tag deadline that will be coming up. That is getting closer, people. We have to find out what the situation is going to be with our guy, J.C. Jackson. Now, this has been a, a hot-button topic for the Patriots throughout the entire season. 
A lot of people on both sides of the ball here saying whether or not they should sign him, franchise tag him. What should they do with J.C. Jackson? A lot of people asking, is he a lockdown corner? Can he be a number one guy? Obviously, losing Stephon Gilmore left a huge hole in that defense that needed to be covered up somehow. And J.C. Jackson did the best that he could in this season that he had. He had great statistical numbers, but to me... Is he worth having a huge contract for this Patriots team going forward? No, I don't believe that he is. I honestly think that we should really heavily consider giving him this franchise tag. Now, I know it's not going to make him happy. Yeah, I mean, it'll make him happy when he gets to see that he's going to make $17.5 million for one season's, of, season's worth of work. That's going to be great for him. But it's also going to keep him in the mindset that he needs to keep trying 100%. Now, I just believe personally that there is no way that J.C. Jackson could live up to a four, three, four, five-year deal where he's making between 16 and 18 per year, 16 and 18 million per year. I just don't see how that works out well for a J.C. Jackson who, to me, is not a lockdown guy, but he's a really great or a top-tier zone coverage cornerback. He is great in a zone. He knows where to be. He knows how and when to look for the ball, and that gets him a lot of interceptions. He's great at it. He's a ball hawk from that sense. He sees, he's reading the quarterback's eyes. He's reading the re receiver's routes. He does a great job with that. But if you ask him to go out there and lock down a specific player in the NFL and he's of a certain tier, it's just not going to happen. If you go out there and ask him to go against a Stephon Diggs, we've already seen it now multiple times, two, three times in this last season, it's not going to happen. And A.J. Brown, highly doubt it's going to happen. That you know, There's certain levels of players that he will not be able to lock down, like a Stephon Gilmore was able to do. That's just a difference. There's a difference between those types of players. Lockdown guys say they're going to walk into a game and I'm taking out their number one wide receiver. I'm doing it right now. Whoever it is. Is it A.J. Brown? Is it, is it uh, yeah, is it Diggs? Is it Mike Evans? Who is it? Who's their number one wide receiver? I'm going out there and I'm locking him down. You're not even going to see him on the stat sheet. You'll probably won't even see me on the stat sheet as much because teams are just not going to throw their way. The reason, my reasoning behind saying that J.C. Jackson is not that guy and he is not that top-tier type of cornerback is because partially of the statistics that he has. You can say whatever you want about that, but the fact that he has so many interceptions means that quarterbacks are still not afraid to throw his way. And he does a great job of making them pay for that. He also has dropped a lot of passes too, but we're not going to get into that whole side of things. I think that he is a great right place, right time cornerback. I think he's more than that, people. Don't get too much. Don't, don't get in your feels about it. I think he is more than just a right place, right time guy, but he is one of the best at doing it. One of the reasons he's had 17 interceptions over these last two seasons is because he just knows where to be at the right time. He gets a lot of tipped interceptions. He gets a lot of plays where the quarterback makes a dumb decision or, or is rushed by the defense, and now he's making a bad throw, and J.C. Jackson is there. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that as a bad thing. I love it. I love the fact that he's able to do those kind of things for the Patriots. But if you're going to ask him to be a number one cornerback on this team and demand $17, 18000000 million per season on his contract, 
I just don't, it's not going to work out for the team in the long run. It just won't. There's no chance. I, I will go out on a limb right now and guarantee that if J.C. Jackson gets a four-year contract for 16 to 18 million per season, there is no chance he lives up to that. You will all be upset with that contract two, three seasons into it. I'm not going to tell you that he won't have a lot of interceptions. I'm not going to tell you that he won't be able to look pretty decent. But when you're paying a player that kind of money, he needs to be more than pretty decent. He needs to be dominant. And he needs to be dominant every single year. He needs to be like a Stephon Gilmore type that got consistently better. And if it wasn't for the injuries, he was still a top two or three cornerback in the entire league. J.C. Jackson, you have great numbers. You have top five, top six uh, you know, defensive ratings against other wide receivers or or uh, QB completion percentages. He's a top five guy, right, a- against him from that standpoint. But he is not a lockdown guy. I'm sorry, people. Any J.C. Jackson fans out there, I'm sorry if you, you are upset by hearing this, but he is just not the one. He's not the guy. Now, he is the absolute perfect guy alongside of a Stephon Gilmore, alongside of a lockdown guy. He's your perfect, uh, you know, browner to your Revis type guy. He's that other guy that's amazing on the other side. And if you somehow got another guy in with J.C. Jackson, now you're talking about one of the best duos in all of football. But by himself, uh, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to be good. He will not live up to a big contract. Book it. Mark it right now. You know, we can come back to it eventually. All right, I got one more thing that I want to talk about, and that's a little bit of baseball talk before we wrap up the show after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. All right, we got one more quick segment to wrap up the show today. We are going to talk and finish off with some baseball talk because there has been some new developments, it seems, not great developments, with the uh, MLB and, and talking with the Players Association to see who is going to kind of break or fold in this situation. Who's going to give in to demands, I guess, is where we're at, where we're waiting, because somebody's going to have to. If you guys want to play baseball this season, somebody's just going to have to give a little bit. But it doesn't seem like that's the case. It doesn't seem like they're even close to that being the outcome. Now, spring training was just supposed to start this week. You are already postponing spring training. I believe they have a hard deadline of uh, March 31st is when they want to start the league. And so, you know, within these next couple of weeks, sure, they could get something done and they could rush it and maybe the season will still start on March 31st. But I doubt it at this point. From the most recent things that I've been seeing going on, including an article that I just read from the New York Post, it seems like things have never been worse than they are at this point. It honestly feels like we've gotten to a point that is just absolutely terrible for the MLB, and I don't know if they're going to be able to come back from it anytime soon. I'm sure they will at some point, but it is going to be a shortened season is where I feel it's going to be right now. Now, this article that I wrote or read from the New York Post is from a Ken Davidoff, and the title of his article that he wrote is titled MLB Lockout Talks Reach New Low with 15-minute meeting as opening day doomsday looms. All right, so he starts off by saying, well, this has to be a new low, right? Unless you envision maybe an eight-minute meeting the next time the representatives of the Major League Baseball Players Association and owners get together, Thursday provided a beautiful scene 
outside, much less so inside the MLB Players Association Manhattan headquarters, where the collective bargaining session lasted roughly 15 minutes. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. He even says that in the article. It's brutal. Uh, As the Mets, Luis Guillermo tweeted out about it afterwards, who was involved, I I guess, from a player's side of things. He tweeted out, I'm pretty sure I've had at-bats longer than this meeting. I mean, when you are talking about they haven't been, and I had said this in previous uh, episodes, it seemed like the teams just weren't even meeting. Even though Rob Manfrod came out and said that they were they were in good talks, he felt good about where they were at, and they were going to get this done, and blah, 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 all this stuff. It also came out that I believe they had only had two meetings over the last couple of months. Two. You're trying to get the entire season started, and you've only had two meetings? And then you now have this newest meeting that just happened, and it only lasted 15 minutes? Brutal. That's brutal. Do you have any interest in actually making this work? It doesn't seem so. It doesn't seem like that is the case. Whether it's from the Rob Manfred and owner side of things or the player side of things, they just don't seem like they want to get along whatsoever on anything. It just The fact that, I mean, I don't even have to go that much further into the meeting because there's just nothing to talk about from the meeting itself. 15 minutes is they got everybody in, sat them all down, said, hey, how's it going? How have you guys been? Haven't seen you in a little while. And then they were like, all right, we got to leave. We, I, I can't do this. I can't even look at these guys across the side of the table. I can't do it. That's it, just, it's terrible. So I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, the the teams are both really going hard at certain things on both sides of the ball, I guess, or, or both sides of the, the mediating table. They're talking about scaling back their arbitration proposal from granting the privileges to pl- all players with two plus years of service time. Uh, to the top 80% of the two- to three-year class. They're talking about that kind of stuff. They're talking about our arbitration proposals. They're talking about increasing the bonus performance pool for pre-arbitration players from $110 million to $115 million, which is like nothing. I don't understand that. They're talking about very, what seems to be small changes, and they still can't even get in the same room for more than 15 minutes. That's, that's, you're sounding like more of a divorce hearing or a, an arbitration somehow from that where they like, they can't even look each other in the eye. They can't stand to be in the same room for more than 15 minutes before they all get so upset that they have to leave. I don't know. I, it, my baseball fans out there, I, I post, posted this poll at, uh, on Twitter at the Claptrap and on Instagram at the Claptrap. Are you worried about this season starting on time? Because you have to be, right? At this point, I am. I, I'm I'm very, uh, you know, worried that this season is going to take into April or May before we even get started with baseball. You're going to lose out on, you know, 20, 40 games possibly of this season, if that's the case, right? Which is fine. And, I, and I, we've talked about this before. I think baseball should come down on the number of games that they have anyways. But still, I don't know. It's, uh, that's, you're, you're looking at a tough spot. Right now, if they can't even be in the same room as each other for 15 minutes. 15 minutes. It's, I mean, I don't know. We're at a tough spot for the MLB. And and will they ever even be able to get things finished? I have no idea. I have no idea. All right, that's going to do it for the Claptrap. 
this week. We had a great couple of episodes. Like I said, we talked with Andrew on Wednesday about everything football. If you were interested in the salary cap situation for the Patriots and other things going on with football, please go back and look at that. Like I said, these episodes will be up as podcasts, wherever podcasts are found. You can go to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify if you want to. Any of these places will have the Claptrap. Just search the Claptrap. You'll be able to find it. I'm also up on Twitter and Instagram at the Claptrap, posting daily questions, trying to get your guys' feedback on what's going on in the sporting world and see what everyone thinks about everything. But I hope everyone has a great weekend. I will be back again next week to talk about not only the All-Star game that happens for the NBA, but everything going on with the Bruins. Hopefully baseball can figure their stuff out. And then we're going to have more and more Patriots offseason topics as we get further into the 2022 offseason. All right. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. Keep it right here on 90.7 WKKL for more of the Capes Classic Alternative.